Welcome to Let's Make a Podcast, where three people talk about tech stuff and web. Yeah, something like that. Oh, coming at you live. Seattle, Washington. Where are we? We're in Seattle, Josh. Oh. We're all together for the first time ever. Yeah. You're welcome. It's cold as balls right now. Yeah, it's basically weather's been as advertised. Mostly rain, mostly cold. Very gray. It's not been that bad. One nice day. Two nice days. Yeah, yesterday was very pleasant. Yesterday was lovely, actually. Bainbridge? Was it Bainbridge? Bainbridge. Today I busted my ass. You did. Just walking down the sidewalk. Yep, <laughs> happened. <laughs> All right, takeaways from Seattle as a city. Nick, go. Weird, really. Reminds me of Manchester. Josh. Uh, it's very close to Portland, uh, which you see a lot of tattoos, a lot of different colored hair, which is a little odd for uh, us on the East Coast. I think the weirdest thing was all the dog poop everywhere. 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 Every sidewalk, just dog poops scattered. Constantly having to watch where you walk, even in super nice neighborhoods. We actually just, the the store next door, there was dog shit in a bag, but on the floor. Yeah, they're like, oh, we'll bag this one up, but we're going to. They banged it up, tied it, and we're like, can't make it to the trash can. Yeah. Leave it there. Great. Best old fashioned I had was at Black Bottle last night. Very good. Well, I don't know. I liked some random bar. Some, some random, random bar, bar was, was nice, yeah. Probably the most likely bar I would have gone to. Yeah. Yeah. Alright, so... uh this is great, this so far. Conference takeaways. So we, we're here for an event apart, if we haven't mentioned that yet. I thought we got to a Chopper reference. By oh, the yeah. We did watch Chopper last night. Chopper, Chopper! If you haven't seen it, don't pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, you don't mean that because it's crap, though. You mean because it's free on the internet. Oh, I can see why it was where a large swath of people would watch that movie and be like, I don't get why anybody would want to watch this. Be honest, I. Uh, I don't think Josh liked it that much. Pretty sure I slept the last half hour. Mm, that's the best part, dude. I, I missed mean, it. It's unfortunate. It's actually a good film. Eric Banner was good in that. Yeah. I mean, is that it's classic someone getting into the role, basically. Yeah, method. Method acting, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm. So we're here for an event apart. This is... All of us have been at least once. Most of us multiple times. Yeah. I think um, this is my fourth time. Yeah. I think I've done three. Yeah, I've done three too. So, alright. What are our takeaways? Front-end development is dead. Pack <laughs> it up, it's over, let's go home. I mean, it is. Uh, I don't think it's dead. I don't think it's dead either. Uh, it does, there has been a shift. There has been a there shift. There has been a very palpable shift, and I feel like Rucker and I went to one in 2014, end of 2014. Yep. And I di- it didn't feel like it had impacted the conference in the way that it, it did this time, three years later. A lot of, lots happened in the last three years, for sure. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I I really enjoyed it in 2014. Yeah. I I came. I was I was pumped. I was ready to build something. Yeah. Uh, not so much this time. <coughs> well, As I, yeah, well, I'm always. I take that back. You've been building a. F- I have been chart. building a charting library. Psyched after Chris Coyer's talk uh, on on Tuesday afternoon, but yeah. uh, n- not generally psyched about the rest of the state of the web. I mean, honestly, I think the the quality of the conference is good, in my opinion. Sure, the speakers are good. It's well put together. The food's not bad. It's been better, but it's not bad. I mean, there was some good stuff. It just. I think, I don't know, it's kind of like, um, I suppose it, the level of people that go to the conference is quite wide, I reckon. Because you've got people mm-hmm. like Josh Rucker, you, me. Yeah. Whereas in, in like... This is the first time I felt like I wasn't the target audience for the conference. Yeah. You were probably, dare I say, slightly more advanced. And that's not a knock on the other audience. Yeah. But, like, a lot of the stuff was kind of like, oh, yeah, we're already doing that, but... Um, I don't know. Well, I, I feel like that there was, I think generally there's been more technical uh, aspects to the conference in the past, especially in Seattle. <coughs> I felt like Seattle was a very much more advanced level than, than some of the other conferences that I had attended. Um, this conference? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I've been a part. <clears throat> but I think, I think this time around, I, I feel like it... Was you mean in San Francisco? It was a lot of technical yeah, stuff. Yeah, did I say Seattle? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, San Francisco. Uh, scratch that. Rewind. <laughs> Edit that bit out. Do it again. Um, yeah, San Francisco. I felt like it was a, at a fairly higher level than uh, than than it was this time. Uh, I felt like this was more. I don't want to say entry level, but I'm trying to think back to San Francisco. Early career, I mean, what, for sure. one of the things I remember you and I immediately tinkering with while we were there was SVG. Chris Which, Coyer. ironically, is what you're tinkering with again. Yeah, this Chris time. Coyer at San Francisco. God. He was. But it was the same that, place. That talk was very much a, you can start using SVG now kind of a talk. Yeah. Which is normally the kind of technical talks you get at Event Apart, right? It's like, this is a future thing that a lot of people aren't right. using yet because support's not great. Here's how you can use it now. Because uh, I think it was it was DC, we, when, either when we went or the year after. Flexbox. We Flexbox. Yeah, Eric, Eric Meyer was talking yeah. about that. Right, exactly. Oh, I remember. I remember hearing uh, the first time I heard Flexbox was <laughs> the first time I heard about Flexbox was uh, uh, Atlanta, probably 2011. Yeah. And of course, you couldn't use Flexbox that was the same for at least three we or four years. Yeah. yeah. At least at least three or four years, <laughs> you couldn't use it. There wasn't enough support. Right. Right. But now uh, it's dead. Just kidding. Yes, the screen's <laughs> But what were we saying? What were we talking about? Well, I th- you were sort of getting on really about like... Well, SVG. Yeah, I mean, I guess my point was just that, you know, it doesn't feel... You know, CSS Grid just got released in all the Evergreen browsers, asterisk edge a little bit. We'll get to that in a minute. But... Uh, I have an announcement! Yeah. All right, we'll talk about it now. So basically, basically, Microsoft showed up to this conference as they're right down the road, and they're like, "Yeah, we want to make this announcement from your stage. We have an exciting announcement to make. But listen, we're working on Grid. It'll be ready sometime." But they built it up though. It's like 
and and you know this isn't a knock on uh, Eric Mayer because he was probably like oh what because he was like what are they going to share yeah he's like yeah everyone we've got a special announcement coming up today Microsoft and everyone would thought they were just saying like IE is just they deleted it yeah but, <laughs> but it was like I'd have been more excited about that and and it took me a bit to register because I was like wait is he saying that. He's, I thought he was announcing that CSS Grid was like it's like shipped. Yeah, today. we're shipping it. Yeah. He's like, yeah, we're working on it. We thought you were working on it, Greg. Right. Brilliant. What are you announcing? <laughs> yeah. When will it be ready? We can't tell you. You're right. The worst announcement ever. Yeah. It's crap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was. It was a. It was kind of a classic. Let's make fun of Microsoft cannon fodder for the rest of the weekend for sure. But yeah, but which is a shame because they seem to be doing some cool stuff. Yeah. I wonder whether they just panic was like, let's just announce something, yeah, this is great. Yeah, I don't know why they felt motivated to do that. Anyway, maybe for them it is a big announcement. I'm sure a lot of their... Don't slam the glass down. I can't edit out all your noises in this time. There's only one mic. Just Nick Rigby, noisemaker extraordinaire over here. Anyway, back to the original point at hand, which was... It doesn't feel like this time around. Yes, Grid is gosh, unbelievable. <laughs> yes, Grid is just shipped. Yes, that's great. We've been talking about CSS Grid. Rachel Andrews been talking about CSS Grid, grid for twelve four years. years. I mean, mm-hmm. it's been behind the feature flags. It just came out. That's exciting. You can start using it and actually expect people to see it. All that's great, but. I think it. I think it boils down to this. There was nothing in the conference today that I felt like was a massive paradigm shift in the way that I'm going to approach things. I'll tell you what might have been that I was just thinking about. You might have been using, it, but the at support. I was just about to say that. That's the one thing that I saw in there that I was like, you know, I'm really not it's using not, that yet. Right, exactly. I feel like you can use Strip that out now. modernizer. Yeah. Maybe, Don't need yeah, it anymore. Yeah, yeah. Well, I always hated modernizers. So I don't know, but yeah, at support. Yeah. Good. So uh, feature queries. Yeah, feature queries. If you don't know what it is, it's like at. It basically looks like a media query if the device supports Flexbox. Yeah, and property and a CSS property value pair is what you pass it, and if yeah. it passes, then it'll render the that CSS. That was interesting inside. actually, and I haven't used that before. So and, yeah. And if you're not familiar with Modernizer, Modernizer is just a, a, a lightweight little JavaScript uh, library that runs a couple of tests for each individual feature. Right. It's a bit heavy, really. Well, framework. You can custom. It's a library. <laughs> <laughs> Don't give me shit. Anyway, get out. Well, I mean, what do you think? What if you if you were like if you just woken up from like a a five year slumber? Yeah. And you went to that conference. Yeah. What are the trends that are in like? What is the current state of front development right now? I, I feel like we're still talking about layout. Like we're perpetually talking about layout for the last 10, 15 years. We've been talking about nothing but layout. Yeah. And the layout has come a long way. True. We're, we're off tables. We were all in divs and styles. And then then we were all really excited about Flexbox when Flexbox was emerging. And uh, now people are going to get really excited about CSS grids. Yeah. Are you guys excited about CSS grids? Uh, I don't know. I'm not excited about it at all. It looks super convoluted. It does look, it does look a bit complex. I mean, to me, like... I, I just feel like I can Flex do everything I can do with great. Flex. Flex I don't, is great, but again, I think we 
you know, we're kind of abusing Flexbox because yeah. it's never yeah. intended for that, but it's actually great for that. You know what I mean? Like well, I don't, I don't know that I would agree that it's great for that. Because when you have to start nesting a flex element inside of a flex element inside of a flex element, your CSS well, gets a little bit... It does, it does. And Flexbox is buggy, but I don't expect CSS Grids to roll out and not be buggy either. Yeah, see, what she did with Grid, it was like... She was like... I'm not, I'm not saying that I Grid is... I had a hard time following her example. Class names were in the, in the CSS and... Like, <coughs> well, you name, you name areas in Grid it layout. It seems like you have to be very specific, specifically, though. We're, we're talking about... Um, or Rachel Andrews talk. Uh, she she had a uh, she had a talk called "New CSS Layout Meets the Real World," and she just kind of lays into a couple of real world examples of laying out some stuff in CSS Grid. Um, but yeah, it just it, nothing about it is just. I still like floats. I do too. Well, and I feel like we're. <laughs> yeah. I feel, yeah, like, I feel like we're we're getting at least in a lot of the stuff that I'm doing. I don't know about you guys, but I'm getting away from traditional grids more than than I was I'll three or four years ago. I need a grid. I need a grid. Yeah. Although Sarah Parmenter was kind of talking about non-grid, or she was. I mean, she Her, was talking about. She talked a lot about how essentially in a post-responsive web design world everyone just started designing the same website over and over and over and well, over and over which again. Which they did. One thing. Yeah, and then everybody was, was using bootstrap and foundations and yeah. we, we built 800 of the exact same website. Right. It's all those like full page yeah. like mm -hmm. big. We'll just put everything in one column so that when we drop it down to one column we don't have to do a lot of work. Yeah, essentially. Right. Um, yeah. But was she, was she sort of touching on though that like she was, you know, the logo stuff is like, oh, you know, everything's got to be designed to very specific edges and lines and like the Twitter logo she showed where it's like, you know, uh, you can't make something by accident. Everything's got to be very Well, I think, exact. you know, her, her, dis her talk was about, I think it was practical branding, I think was the title. And she was talking about how design principles, design systems are good, but... Sometimes inspiration just happens, or you do something that you didn't intend to do, and you like it. And it, you right. don't have to; it doesn't always have to fit inside of this like really rigid system of design language. And one of the examples that she brought <laughs> about was the Twitter logo, how it fit inside the golden ratio, and yada yada yada. And how like, okay, great. What difference does that make? What you know, it makes no difference. I kind of when I used to do a bit of design, I needed that reassurance myself of like you know I followed some sort of even if it was just on a grid or something like that I followed some methodology of like well to me it's making it's, decisions yeah. design wise and it's two different you know it's two different design methodologies because if you're talking about hey we have a enterprise software product and we have multiple teams that work <laughs> on it different parts we've got 50 designers in house yeah you need a design system that's rigid so that it doesn't go completely off the rails right. if you're talking about branding and the sort of advent of your design system that's a completely different ball game altogether when you're, when you're making the rules you don't have to follow the rules to make the rules I think was her point yeah. I agree I agree I, I don't know I mean we, we're moving into this well I mean, it's not that we're, we've not been in it but I feel like in the last four or five years modular design patterns have really really emerged mm -hmm. uh as this is what you should be doing 
uh, for a lot of reasons. Um, right. And I, and I feel like we don't need these large complex grid systems that we that we were using, you know, ten years ago, because now we're 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 building m- m- basically microgrids inside of Each these component. modules yeah. that. Uh, <coughs> well, to me, have their own this is to me is always a confusing conversation too, because somebody will say, "Oh, I don't want to use a grid system." It's like, does that mean you don't want to use something that is like? adding classes to your HTML to determine its layout? Or does that mean you're not using a design, like a a grid on the design? Because those are two very different things. I hate using pre-built grid systems because more often than not, I'm having to rewrite a bunch of shit or overwrite a bunch of stuff. Like I'd rather just build a custom, like if we have a custom grid system in-house, I'll just build each component to match it and I don't need to use this really robust, you know, foundation or bootstrap. I very rarely use those kinds of things. Um, I don't think we'll ever get to the point where we're not using grid systems and well, layouts it's, because it's just how you organize yeah, information. Absolutely. You, you can call a grid system two columns that are sit next to each other. Yeah. That's a grid system. Right. You know? How far apart are they? Right. Um, so going back to the uh, some like the ad supports tags, I know that you had a lot of thoughts on progressive enhancement and how that's changing. One of the takeaways I thought that was interesting on this conference Progressive enhancement is still sort of the underlying foundation for web standards. I mean, it's a web standards conference, right? And out of the web standards movement was born progressive enhancement. You build for the least common denominator and you enhance up from there. For the last 15 years, essentially the entire history of the web, we've been doing that because browser support has been inconsistent. Yeah. All the way back, you had build a site for IE and build a site for Netscape. Yeah, you did. Then you had build a site that probably works okay on Firefox, looks terrible on IE6. You need your IE-specific style sheets. Exactly. Yeah. So depending on how many iterations of IE you had to go back. I mean, even when I really got (coughs) into development professionally, which was like 2010, 2011, at that point, IE6 and 7 were still big time at play. Like, it was a real problem. Now, our browsers are essentially all evergreen. Granted, there's varying levels of implementation, but for the most part, they support a lot of the same things in a spec. Mm-hmm. We've come a long way. Mm-hmm. Now, and this is this Ethan Market kind of Marcotte? Marcotte. Ethan Marcotte. Marcotte. Uh, Marcotte. Yeah. Why did you ask him once? I did. Yeah, on Twitter. That was a long time ago. Have you forgotten? I have. Marcotte. No, Marcotte's definitely right. Marcotte. Uh, sorry, Ethan. Uh... He, he won't be listening. He won't. He won't do this. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the things that he was touching on was, you know, the developing world and the world at large is buying mobile devices at an unbelievable rate. One, we're like approaching one mobile device per person on earth annually in sales. That's unbelievable and unprecedented in mm-hmm. terms of people accessing the internet. Mm-hmm. But in a lot of these countries, the devices are not iPhones. You know, you have a wide swath of cheaper devices that probably don't have as good a browser support in them. And you have erratic and slow networks that people are using. Right. So thinking about that, I mean, and and I think this is true in general over the last three years. Even if you look at America, right, or England, you know, developed world, there are still things that you cannot predict about the web. You're serving data to an undetermined location, an undetermined device, and you 
hope and pray that it looks okay when it gets there. Yeah. Um, and I think thinking about it in terms of the developing world just puts a really fine point on that as to why it's important. Because in you know it's easy to say, oh, well, everybody in America uses their mobile device this way. Right. Or they've all got iPhones or they've all got 4G or whatever, which is just not... You, it's I completely that, unpredictable. That's interesting, though. Yeah, it is. That's interesting because, like, you know, from my perspective of, you know, talking to a lot of developers, you assume that a mobile device is, like, you know, iPhone, kind of like yeah. top-level Android phone kind of thing, where mm-hmm. it probably isn't. Or, or it could be. Could be. Again, but it depends on, like, looking at the audience. Like, he, uh, you know, uh, what's he called? Um... Chris Coyle was on about code pen. Yeah. Doesn't spend a lot of time on the mobile aspect of it because no user uses mobile. Contrast that to some other company somewhere, something might have a sh- load of traffic from Africa or wherever it might be. I can't remember what country. Wasn't there a country? I think it was India where it's like, there's like two or three phones per person. Did I dream that? No, it's probably true. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. I mean, that's it. One a guy a guy I used to work with who was really into WordPress was on about that very metric saying like um, you know these de- developing countries or or you know maybe not but where mobile use is huge. Um, he did a, a talk at a WordPress conference and he built a WordPress he installed and like set up a WordPress thing from a phone. So mm, like yeah you know he like. Went through the GUI. Installed something. Uh, was it like connected to FTP? Edit a file on there and stuff. All from a phone, which mm-hmm. I thought was actually quite an interesting idea. Because again, like a lot of these people might not actually have a laptop. In terms of making publishing the yeah. web more right. accessible publishing to everyone, life. yeah. Exactly. And speaking of that, I mean, I think we we've come full circle again, and I feel like this we have the same conversation every few years now, if, if we're not having it constantly. Uh, of progressive enhancement versus graceful degradation. Mm-hmm. And what does that really mean? Mm-hmm. And I think we have a, a you know very clear uh, uh, picture of what that means today, which is is mobile devices, where we take for granted that you know we can serve a you know a heavy file size out to uh, a device in the U.S. because even you know in you know areas where you know mobile support is not great. Most people still get 3G connections, right. which are still relatively quick. Yeah. But you look at India or uh, you know Syria, where these networks aren't aren't very good, and right. this is how the majority of people are connecting to the internet, and it's it's terribly slow. Yeah. So I mean, we have to start learning how to to get back to the basics of, of building websites by adding features on top of it when we know that it can be supported, right. not creating experiences and then you know, slowly taking off parts of that experience, but we still have to serve the weight of them to them. I mean, it's great that we can serve responsive files, you know, images that, you know, you know, can be supported, you know, that, you know, two times the resolution, you know, and have like, you know, file sizes that are, you know, 600, 700 K an image. But then you serve those same images to people in, in a developing country, and you know that's it. They're done <coughs> because they're never going to get that down. Well, there was, there was an example. I can't remember what it was who talked about it, but 
the person that wasn't able to log into a website from India or somewhere. Yeah. Because the two factual authentication yeah. kept they couldn't, they couldn't, the, they couldn't get in the they couldn't get into GitHub. Yeah. Right, that was it. Yeah, because they had multi factor enabled and by the time they would get their two factor code down, right. their initial the instance would have timed out, so they have to start the process over again. Yeah. That was yeah, it, was, it wasn't about like connecting to email or something. It's like GitHub. That. Yeah, it was GitHub. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's an impossible job, really. It's like, that's another layer now. It's like, not only do you have to think about different devices, you've got to think about different screen sizes, different devices, different network speeds. Uh, you know, like we're talking about service workers now for like offline versus yeah. online. I mean, it's like mm -hmm. this huge landscape. It's a big onion it's, it's to just, peel. It's, it's just, let's build websites for every single possible scenario. Well, and I, and I think part of it, we got so caught up in the responsive movement of let's build a one experience that serves everyone and we forgot that we really can't do that great with the tooling that we had at the time. Right. Uh, and so Pageway, you know, the Pageway just bloated um, because well, we were trying to do a whole lot of... And I think this comes back to, oh, everybody's building the same website. <clears throat> when responsive took off, every business owner in the world said, I want my website to work on, to look good on mobile. Mm -hmm. Right. That was the that yeah. was the only criteria is that it looked like it would needs look, to work on it look needed to look good on mobile, right? So you've got thousands of designers and developers who have never thought, you know, people coming into the industry, people, you know, a lot of people who have never thought about the web in these terms. Yeah. Just saying, how do I take or what if you work in a big enterprise code base, you know, and you don't have the resources to rewrite. So everybody's going not building in a mobile first way, yeah. not thinking about let's serve the absolute lightest experience we can by default and then tack on. So instead, you're just serving a desktop experience to everyone mm -hmm. that yeah. looks good on mobile. Yeah, right. Exactly. And that's where. And then you've got oh well, I'll just use Bootstrap. I'll just use whatever library. I won't worry about even customizing to the pieces I need. I'll just serve the whole thing. Yeah. And then you've got these just massive libraries sitting in people's websites. The whole thing's built on, mm -hmm. and potentially. You the nail on the head. Yeah, and so, you know, and this I think this comes back to this this shift. That was the beginning of it, where you've got there was a small crop of people that were all working in the web. I think around that time who saw responsive happen and understood it fundamentally mm -hmm. like this is what this means it means we have to completely flip our paradigm around and go mobile first and that's part of progressively enhancing our website now right. and then you had everyone else who had never even heard the words progressive enhancement trying to do the same thing and doing it from the opposite end then tack add on in the you know over the next two years of as that's happening you've got this shift of oh, now we're going to start building JavaScript applications for the browser. So a lot of your more competent, traditionally front-end developers have become front-end engineers now, right? That's the, that's the new hotness. So everybody slid over into React, Angular, Ember world, yep. leaving behind the fact that somebody's still got to build these really complex, even if it's just an informational website, to do this well, it's a really complex thing to do. And so then you've got, oh, well, we'll just let designers handle that. Go learn to code, designers. That's the new thing. All designers need to learn to code. Learn to code. I. Well, sketch it, spits out. Skip code as It well. drives me nuts because when you say learn to code, <laughs> it's such an oversimplification of what the actual process is. Mm -hmm. The coding part is not nearly as important as the design thinking that goes into it, right? Thinking about a website the right way before you build it.
anybody can write code that renders in the browser. It's about writing code in, it's not about writing code, frankly. It's about building the thing <laughs> as small as you can and growing it. And so I just think there's been a lot of mismanagement in terms of educating people over the last four, five, six years in terms of what that really means. And it's always been a problem. I mean, this has always been a problem as long as I've been in the industry anyway in terms of how many people are really doing it the right way versus why everybody else. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Yeah. It is hard. It's resource intensive. Everybody's got to be on the same page about it. You know. And if, you know, if you build an agency, it's money. It's not as cost. Right. Right. So, like, the cost of building a website that hits all those points. Like clients sometimes don't care. It's unfortunate, but they're like, then your point basically hit the nail on the head was we built websites that looked good on a mobile phone. Yeah. From a from a in an ideal phone. condition. Yeah. Right. But it was the desktop scaled down. Right. Use all the images to scale them down. Everything will mm-hmm. just stack, and that's fine. Loading styles for features that you're right. not even utilizing anymore. Exactly. It's all just... But just slap a display none on it, mate. It'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. No, but like, in, in, as far as the client's concerned, great. Yeah. As far as maybe most of the users are concerned, it might not be an issue. Right. But again, it kind of comes back to looking at the audience because if you want, you know, it's like... Or just, do we need to like, you know, Google's, uh, you know, looking at mobile more closely, page speeds become more of a factor. Like, mm-hmm. we need to start being a little bit more conscientious about it. Yeah. Oh, let's just load that library in. You know, like, oh, let's let's load a whole like animation library in just so we can do one thing. I mean, it comes back like jQuery is a good example. Like, yeah. oh, let's load jQuery in because we just need to traverse the DOM once. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, oh, well, we need to add a JavaScript class to the body. Yep. So let's, you know, I think every single developer needs to completely reevaluate that very thing. It's yeah. like everything that you want to include needs to be questioned. Right. It's a huge problem. It is. It really is. And there's there's so much there's so much now, right? Before it was like, okay, we'll include jQuery. Right. Now how many libraries exist to do all sorts of cool stuff? But what and I, and I think I think these libraries are, are helpful and they and they help us do a lot of things. Uh, I think particularly when you're uh, <clears throat> from a UI UX perspective, I mean they help you prototype uh, prototype insanely fast. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't you don't have to write great code to, to build a concept out. Right. Mm-hmm. The problem is that we're not reevaluating what we've written a lot of times, mm-hmm. and we just keep building on top of it. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, it's yeah. like oh this kind of works. Let me let me start making it a little bit. Snazzier and let me, you know, let's add some cool effects here and and you know ultimately <coughs> what you're building is, is something that doesn't require the sophistication of, of the libraries that you've placed underneath it. Yeah. You could have built you know with you know maybe a quarter or less of the same you know, you know weight of, of JavaScript or, or whatever other. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, you're just not utilizing it. And the same thing is with Bootstrap and. and foundation and all these other things you know people are using it for the grid system but they pull the whole thing in yeah yeah, you yeah. Know, what are you doing you just cdn in it yeah you know, yeah we'll get all the fun awesome as well cdn there as well at the same time right mm-hmm. it's i kind of i don't know it's annoying they, but then like the same token is like you know you spend all this time like i do 
like, like making sure everything's lean and mean. Mm-hmm. And then some fucker uploads a three hundred kilobyte image that could be squashed down to fifty kilobytes. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, you know what I'm which saying? is going to be way worse. And it might be a client. It might be the CMS that you didn't put the appropriate system in place to, to stop that from happening. Yeah. And suddenly, all that hard work. We have you have to. Right. I mean, if you're worried about performance and you're building a CMS integration, to me, that's where all the danger lies is what right. what's going to be put in this box. Let's not you know? allow the client to be able to upload images yeah. that are over. Or maybe they do, but you just automatically, you know, like I, I've built WordPress sites where it doesn't matter how big the file is that they upload, the maximum size that I serve to the browser is going to be like right. 1,600 pixels wide and it's going to have gone through... Image compression. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. No, you, you've got to build that in, but... Speaking of which, um, who was it? Whose talk? It was uh, Una, Una Kravitz. Yeah, yeah. Who had a, a lot of really good uh, helpful hints uh, for how to pull pull that page weight and, and what you were serving out just mm-hmm. to, to optimize your images, to optimize mm. some techniques for how to, to lay the load <laughs> of, of certain images to help offset that kind of user experience uh, performance that you're going to take by loading some of those large images. That's one thing that I am interested in looking more into too because I haven't done much with Image Magic at all. And she talked about that quite a bit, yeah. how you can build that in your build process. Mm-hmm. Um, she talked about all the different... Um, fliff! Fliff! fliff. Yeah. <laughs> no, but there was like... I mean, there must have been 20 plus image formats. And that's the other issue is that, yeah. you know, you've got to choose the right format for the right application like you shouldn't be uploading like like photos mm-hmm. as PNGs probably in most cases in most cases because right. the compression you don't get the compression that you get out of a JPEG yeah but depending on if it's only yeah. three colors the PNG will be smaller than the JPEG will. right right but you know depending on you know and this is something <laughs> that I thought was interesting because she did a really great job of of breaking down like what happens uh, when some of these file formats are are saved mm-hmm. yeah, yeah um, you know that you know kind of explaining you know why even though a jpeg is compressed why it may end up with a large file size in some other format based on how the pixels line up right you know if, if you're in a jpeg jpeg compresses it by finding matching pixels in you know pickles pickles pickles, pickles. matching pickles. matching pixels in a row and you know just kind of pressing that down and you know not having to write out all of those bits each time but um yeah i, th- I thought her talk was was fantastic actually what was, the, what was the google there was a google image format that the what's that the web the one where there was like a, it, she was talking about like some intelligent way of of um, breaking an image down into sections and then the sections kind of looking at other sections and like oh. seeing looking for similar there was there was some kind of clever like algorithm at work that sounded quite oh, fancy. I I oh, the I Google, sure the Hertz licker. That's not it. He's a football player. The, the compression algorithm. <laughs> something like that. Goit slick compression. That or? might be it. It was slow. As you said, it was quite a bit slower, but like I don't know. That sounded interesting. That's just G U E T Z L I. Yeah. Getsley. Getsley. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that sounded interesting. I mean, I think um, images have always been a kind of a, a sticking point for me. It was interesting that I think Chris Corey said it. You know, you've got all of the most brilliant 
data people in the world at Google throwing resources at a new JPEG compression format, and the best they could do is like 20% smaller. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we're still saving. What's funny is that we're still saving uh, certain logos and, and various things out as JPEGs when we could just write it as, as you know, an SVG yeah. that yeah. takes up virtually, you know, 5K yeah. or something. It's so something pretty like cool, because like I'll go out my way to to slim whatever. If it's like if I send myself a couple of kilobytes, yeah. I'm winning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you have that attitude of like you know, and then one person's going to come in and drop one file in there, and it's going to right, blow exactly. away all of your work. That's what I mean. Although you know, Google can do anything, I suppose. So yeah, they should have probably slashed it. Don't bother bringing it to market unless it's half yeah. or less. You know, it's interesting. We we started this talk talking about how we're not really all that interested in, I know, I know. in some of the things that we talked about, but obviously there are some things here that we wanted to dive into deeper. I, I think part of it, too, I think it's just because we're not... The, the pain points now aren't so much, you know, I wish I could make my corners round, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? I mean, it hasn't been that long since that was a big pain point. We want rounded corners. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the pain now is more about the varying diversity of things that we're trying to build for the web. How do you manage that? How do you manage complicated product projects? How do you manage projects with these massive, complicated build tools and build pipelines? I'm almost wondering what, I mean, it's actually, it's probably easier than ever to build a website. Oh, definitely. You know what I mean? 100%. Because like, like you were mentioning, uh, you know, IE6, IE5, when it, you know, like before we had web fonts, before we had well, border was, radius. I mean, that was the job, right? A front-end developer's job then was to know all the hacks. Exactly. If you, if you knew all the browser hacks, you could get a job because exactly. you were a really talented front-end and developer. I used to say that. I, used to, I, I, had, I was kept in a job because of my knowledge of the browser works. Mm-hmm. Look, if you know the double left flow IE bod, then you're good. That's right. Zoom exactly. one, baby. I, zoom I mean, it. I actually, I, I really got fascinated by IE in a kind of weird, twisted way. Cause it was, and I, 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 I'm not singing my own praises, but I did know IE bugs. In, I could spot an IE bug mm-hmm. really quickly. If, there's a, if I was working with a developer that was going on in it, I'd usually be able to figure it out. Yeah, quickly. yeah. Whereas now it's like, I don't ever worry about designing in Firefox or Chrome or Safari, not really so much either. It's like, I know it's going to work. Yeah, the frustrating thing now is like, oh, the font renders a little thicker in Chrome than it does in everywhere else or something. We're also searching for, we're also trying to become better developers, which is now part of the, that's hard about it. It's like, what build tools should I be using? Like, how can I make my life easier? How can I build better websites? How can I build more consistent websites? Yeah. Uh, websites that might work offline yeah. or with a poor connection to that would we'll go with. Yeah. We're, Modular design systems. We're honing in on like more perfection. Yeah. Which isn't a bad thing, but it, I, I think it is easier than ever to build a website. Mm-hmm. If you take out all the different screen sizes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's easier than ever and it's harder than ever at the same right. time. Yeah. Because it depends on how you're going to build it. You have a the, the, a slot the expectation for a professional website is worlds higher now than it was five years ago. Well, and, and what I mean is that well, you've got to slot through all these frameworks that are out there. You've got to slot through. 
Yeah. Uh, all the tooling that's available to you that kind of makes your workflow. I mean, build automation, you know, image optimization, yeah. uh, uh, frameworks for styles <coughs> and grids, uh, polyfills for browser support going yeah. backwards. I mean, these are all things that, you know, we weren't really super concerned with a few years ago. Yeah. I get, I, actually, I'm, I'm wrong. I am wrong. It's not easier. It's exactly your point and your, it's like, it's just shifted. The frustrations are just completely shifted. Well, the yeah. frustrations aren't, oh God, like this design's got rounded corners and you're a real pain in the ass. It's like, it's, it's just, it's changed right. completely. Well, and, and you know, when we, when we interview people, we're not asking them about, you know, identifying uh, browser compatibility bugs anymore. We're asking them about you know, what's the difference, uh, you know, why would you use SAS? You know, are you familiar with SAS? Are you familiar with less? Are you, right. uh, you know, you know, you know, any number of, of random questions. Have you, yep. Are you, do you have familiarity with this framework or that framework? Uh, you know, this task how could you do this without using jQuery? the tools. It's like, yeah. are you using version control? Are you using mm -hmm. precompilers? Are you using, like, what do you know about building? What's the DOM? Right. What's yeah. the dumb? What's an SVG? Yeah, I mean, it's you know, you, you stumble from time to time across these like informational web, you know, five page website that's been built in React. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like, well, why did you build this in React? And the answer is because that person's just started building for the web. Somebody talked to, they heard the word React, right. they went and started learning it. And that's their only exposure to the web, can right? It's building JavaScript. Can you imagine coming into it now? I just feel like, yeah. Where the hell? So then it's like, oh, this is terrible for accessibility, and this is terrible. It's like, of course it is, but that person's never heard any of this because their first exposure was building it with the JavaScript framework. You know. That's a good. That's a very interesting like thought. That just to think. So that I mean that gets back to my point about like it's more about the thought process now than the execution. I mean execution is obviously still very important to make the thing you're thinking about. If you're thinking about the process in the right way, you still have to be able to execute on that. But making a thing that looks okay in a browser is easier, I think, than ever before. And I think that's what you were talking yeah, about yeah. earlier. Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. Well, and, and <coughs> to kind of go back to kind of what you were hitting on, if you were coming out of school today, where would you start? I mean, I, I don't know. No idea. And then every time you go in for an interview, they want someone with, you know, 15 years of experience building responsive websites with Angular 2. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I remember when I, remember when I first start I mean I've been doing it for a while but I remember when like Ruby first came along and like uh, other frameworks Rails and it made me really uneasy like not knowing what was going on if you know what I mean yeah like installing the abstraction yeah installing this thing and there's all these files and folders that I don't know and now that's normal and yeah I, I don't I'm not saying that's a good or a bad thing but I remember like I don't know there's some benefit to, to knowing what we know having been in the web for so long. Oh, like, absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Like that context of knowing what it was like to work with IE6 and, and, and like yeah. thinking about accessibility, thinking about um, you know, uh, graceful degradation, progressive enhancement or whatever. Whereas I can't imagine coming into it now and just pulling down Angular 2 and just being like, yeah, this is great. Yeah, just fire up the CLI yeah. and do what they, you know. Right, because you need to like kind of understand... You know, like 
you know, build tools to a certain extent. Uh, yeah. To, uh, test and right. Treat and yeah. Things. If you if you want to get started with with Angular, what's the the bare minimum of things you need to know? You have to be able to work command line. You ready? You need to know command line. Mm-hmm. You gotta node. know JavaScript and TypeScript. Well, well, even before you get there, okay. you, you need node. node. You need node straight away. NPM. Yeah. You need to. You need to know TypeScript. Yeah. You need to understand. Well, and you don't even have to write JavaScript. That's what kills me. You're you're writing TypeScript. TypeScript, which is, I mean, it is JavaScript. It is JavaScript it is with JavaScript, typing, but it's it's, it's more. There's a little bit more to well, understand. Right. I mean, you're writing. You're writing ES5, ES6. Right? ES6, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's... it's. It depends on what you're doing, though, right? It's not like CoffeeScript, where it was kind of making Sure, it's not up. more abstracted. It's not jQuery, for sure. Right. No. I mean, I guess... It's still I, ES6, the difference being there's one additional layer of the static typing and the interfaces <laughs> that you have to deal with. But, but, but coming into that, you may not understand that 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 is going to be transpiled right. down to JavaScript. You don't know right. what's being polyfilled down so that it will work on it. Well, let's not even ES talk about it. You, need, you need to know Webpack because yeah. Webpack's with CLI out of the box. Mm-hmm. And that's a, I mean, talk about a black box. Mm-hmm. What is Webpack doing? As a brand new, yeah. like, I still don't halfway know what Webpack's Do doing most of the time. you know what it's doing, though? Just to kind of throw devil's advocate into it. You don't, but this, the first time you have a Webpack error, you have no screen. idea where to start. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, because like... I'm done! You go right. so far down the chain of like, where the hell do I look? Right. God, good job there's like source mapping. Imagine if there wasn't. Yeah. Because that would just... I mean, that would be helpful for us as well, but... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, there is, there is... You're right. There's HTML, CSS. Yeah, I mean, foundational. The, the CSS in, in Angular out of the box is scoped. Which, do you understand what the difference is between scoped and non-scoped CSS? Yeah. Do you want to use SAS? If so, you have to add a SAS configuration to your Webpack right. config. Do you understand SAS? I mean, I can just imagine trying... I mean, I teach people that are, like, graphic designers, yeah. basic web development stuff. I mean, that's a challenge sometimes. Yeah. I imagine trying to explain to someone, like, the difference between SAS and CSS, yeah. like... And all the things that we've just talked about are things you have to know before you even start with the actual li- Angular library. Yeah. And, and, the and understanding th- directives and components and... Yeah, you've got to understand the concept. Actually how to build stuff in Angular, you know? And this, and this, <laughs> is, Routers. Just, this is just to get a f- popular front-end framework going. Right. Think about if you had a CMS component. What if you were running WordPress headless? Right. Could you install WordPress? Yeah. Could you... Uh, set it up for uh, the RESTful API. Could you connect to that API? Right. What's an API? What's an API? <laughs> yeah. What's a database? You know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, th- this is where a lot of the web community is coming from because these aren't people with computer science degrees. And this and a lot of respects coming out of because a lot it's of true. people in the industry that don't have a computer science. I don't. Not, know. Not, that, not that it's a bad thing. Yeah. It's so ex- It's it is accessible. Right. Go back like twelve years. When I was working in an agency in London, no responsive pattern, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of. How big was. I think we were actually using our own proprietary, like, Cold Fusion CMS or something back then. But yeah. Like, up, up, I mean, we might have been behind the time, I don't think we were, but, you know, like, updating the website was easy. It was HTML, CSS, no build tools, nothing. Yeah. Like, if you yeah. need to update CSS, if you want to upload anything to live, 
FTP. Yeah. FTP, if you can drag and drop a file, which most people can, mm-hmm. you're in business. These days, even if... Even I if don't, I don't want anyone near an FTP server. No, neither do I. I hate it, but my point is is that even if it's not an intern, bringing someone into a... Uh, I mean, I don't know what it's like at your place. I'd be interested to know, but like, you bring someone else in, how many like steps of process are there to be like, oh, yeah, well, we've got to get... You a development environment set up, or do you know what Vagrant is? Do you know what Docker is? Do you know whatever else it is? Oh, uh, this is how our um, this is how we use Git or whatever version control system. Uh, we've got to get this other stuff set up. If you want to start on a project, you've got to run npm install first, then you've got to run like Gulp or whatever it is. All right. these different technologies. Hopefully, most anyone that's coming in that's got some experience knows what a lot of this stuff is. But it's still not a quick process. Oh, here's our deployment process. Like it's there's a lot of moving parts in today's web development. Yeah, one, I think. I, I, I think for us, like mostly, it's it's a it's an exercise in in getting people. I think for for the most part, when people people come in, <coughs> they're okay getting Git installed. They're okay getting Node set up. Right. You know, they can call they can call the uh, UI. They can install the dependencies and they can run it. That that doesn't take a lot of. Is work. that easy though to like? Because sometimes in our cases, it's like yeah, you can clone the repo down, and then we've got you get you a database like. Copy no, and we don't have to do any of that, right? Because it's it's. Essentially, you know, all of our databases are hosted. You know, you're gonna have the the dev data. You know, you're talking. You don't do it a local install. We we are not running any local databases. Yeah. You're you're gonna the de- development environment has its own architecture that is still deployed and distributed. Good. Right. So, you know, you'll have an account. You can get in there. You can do. You know, you're not gonna mess anything up because you're, you're. You really shouldn't. I mean, maybe at the at a a lower you know higher. Yeah, at a lower level of the architecture, you could you could mess some stuff right. up, but as a U at a UI level, you're not going to do anything bad. Uh, so I think for the most part, that you can get you can get the application up and running locally in probably 15, 20 minutes. But, <laughs> but understanding the deployment <laughs> process is is a little different. Uh, you know, a lot of people who you know, especially the younger you are, don't have a lot of. Uh, <coughs> they they are familiar with Git, but they don't necessarily know Git well. Right. right and then right, right. Uh, on top of that, they, they don't necessarily understand Git flow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's the process of learning that. Yeah. Um, and then there's also kind of the process of uh, understanding how our deployments work, and, and that gets into Jenkins and some other things. But uh, so understanding that that part of the stack is is certainly more in depth. But we're not going to throw all that at someone, you know, in the first couple hours. Uh, you know, we'll let them get kind of set up, get familiar with the application before we right. get into that. Because they don't really need to know all of that. All they, all they need to know is that they can get it running. They can <coughs> create a branch. They yeah. can push a branch. Uh, that branch will deploy with a CI. Or they can go test the branch. You know, they can run the test against the branch. They can do all those things. They can open a pull request. They don't have to really worry about how the deployment works. Right, 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 right. Um, Yours is a little bit more nailed down than my process. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody can deploy. <laughs> Project just, just commit straight to master, yeah. yeah right. But that's the funny thing. If you committed directly to master on our repos, it wouldn't do anything. 
Nationals. Nothing watches Master. Master is just a snapshot of production. That's what I was... All the magic happens before then. I mean, we don't have any auto deployments from Master. There's nothing stopping from anyone committing to Master. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I'm very specific about my... Uh, I'm not going to get into the details, but my point really is just like... All these tools are making our lives easier eventually, but there is like a... The learning more, curve is There's sharper. a learning curve. Yeah. yeah. There's more of a learning curve at the expense of eventually it'll pay off, hopefully. Initially, fuck something up and commit to master and mess all my friendship up and I'm going to get angry. Yeah. Because well, that happens. I think, I think really I what we yep. have to get back to is... Event apart. <laughs> <laughs> we just have to get back to the basics, right? We've got to have people who are under, that understand basic HTML running really strong semantic markup yeah. who are really good at running styles regardless of the pre-processing yeah. that yeah, comes yeah, before yeah. it yeah. and who can write plain vanilla JavaScript because if you can write plain vanilla JavaScript and understand plain vanilla JavaScript yeah. the framework doesn't really matter yeah. Yeah. it's great and it's great to have but if you're just learning a framework it's great that you know jQuery but if you put that you know JavaScript because you know jQuery on a resume right. and I start asking you to do things without jQuery and you can't do it then you don't know JavaScript right the same the same applies to Bootstrap yeah, exactly. Because we, we get... It's an abstraction of all those things. Like, oh, yeah, do you use Bootstrap? Um, no, not really. But And people are just completely out of the... It, I mean, it's sad, really, but like people that know those Anytime things, I see someone put Bootstrap on a resume... You instantly throw it in the trash. No, I don't, but I do immediately have reservations, yeah. Yeah. Because I would never put that on as a skill. Right. Because to me, understanding a CSS framework is not... A skill, right. right? Or have you having used it before? Like, what is there to understand? Yeah, you know. No, I mean, and yeah, it's it's a definite problem because people become reliant on that, and it's kind of like this thing of people that are new to development, like getting into these skills and not knowing the underlying technology, yeah. like you were talking about, is is actually a problem. So, like, my thing about being uncomfortable with this whole framework coming down and like. God, what's it he's doing? It's kind of relevant. Yeah. Yeah, and that kind of brings me into, I think, maybe a final topic since we're, we've been talking well, about Already at an hour? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, it's actually been a pretty natural conversation. Yeah, right? we, I don't think we've really been following. You can just turn it off now if you're tired of listening. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, resumes. Yes. What? So you're a hiring manager, right? Yes. I'm a hiring manager. Josh is I have hired. been. People, <laughs> we've all been hired. Yeah. Uh, what What is it that you look for on a resume? I I kind of I'll tell you what I look for. Uh, I I look for kind of specific keywords that are gonna like. I'm looking for keywords in a good way and a bad way. To come back to what you said, I'm looking for red flags like DHTML. <laughs> I'm not even kidding though. XHTML, DHTML. Yeah, like if someone's got like DHTML on there and like other just fluff, or, mm-hmm. or to me, DHTML means you don't actually know what you're talking about. Bootstrap, that it, kind of stuff. Even, even now, if someone puts HTML and HTML5, yeah. CSS and CSS3. Right. Just mm-hmm. what? Like. I of agree. course, of course, you know CSS three. That's what every like. That is the only. It's just CSS. I think that that came from about like 
It was about 2011 four years ago. It yeah, was like it's been CSS more than that. Three was. I remember when we worked together at CQ in 2011. Yeah. Is when HTML5 launched, and everyone was talking about HTML5. Let's make it in HTML5. Well, this is the funny thing. I think if you ask a lot of those people what exactly CSS3 meant, right. they probably couldn't tell you. Right. They, they probably didn't yeah, what's, understand what's that Yeah, what's new in CSS3 ver- versus 2.1? Tell me. Right. I don't think people realize that a lot of the CSS specification was modular, that, you, that each individual piece was a <laughs> version of its own. Right. So, it wasn't like CSS was going from 2.1 to 3. Right. right. I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily judge people on that, but I'm definitely looking for... If I'm hiring, let's say if I'm hiring a front-end person, I'm definitely looking for SAS, less, something of that nature on there. I'm looking for some sort of like build stuff on there, Gulp, mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I, I hate saying it. I think I should put on the pop. Yeah. I mean, I just assume that I don't know. Um, I hate saying this, but I, education is usually a secondary glance for me. I'm no, I'm normally more interested in what you experience. Yep. Have if you're a front end developer, have you got your own website? Mm-hmm. Yeah. One, have you you know like because I think that actually is if 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 you've got your own site and you blog in or you've actually like built your own site then. That's a big plus for me. If I go to your site and it's you know kind of bootstrapped or it's built on a theme, I either think, well, they're probably in the same boat as most developers who didn't have time. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean, I do look at I do look at education, but it's a secondary thing. I'm looking for like keywords. I'm looking for like own website. I think is a huge thing. Mm-hmm. Um, red any red flags that I come across in the. That's generally my process. Yeah. I, I, my top tip is I basically get all my resumes together and I throw half of them in the trash <laughs> to avoid hiring unlucky people. Good David Brent. I'm just kidding. <laughs> that is David Brent. The Brent Meister General. Yeah. How about you? <sighs> generally a resume, a good one, there's just a tone, there are certain phrases, and it's almost hard to articulate, right? But there are certain phrases that you'll read yeah. that has the right tone, or that makes you think, yeah, this person knows what they're talking about. Yeah. Um, you know, if I see things like building modular design systems, okay. Like the fact that you even mentioned modularity right. is a big plus. Tick. Right? Bam, something along those yeah. lines as well. Yeah. Um, you know, if they talk about mobile first process, yep. that's good. If they talk about, um, you know, again, I'd, I'd rather see a resume that just says HTML and CSS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or if you want to be descriptive, <coughs> don't tell me you know HTML5. Tell me you write semantic markup. Right, yeah. That to me means, oh, this person understands this at a higher level, right? Or yeah, is approaching think- it from the right position anybody can put a buzzword on their web you're sort resume. of sifting through the keywords basically yeah of like things that you expect right if they mention performance performance exactly that's a big deal um yeah accessibility i often look into yeah just because it's kind of like yeah accessibility is pretty well yeah it, it varies in quality like 
people some people's perception of accessibility is an old attribute. Right. But at least if there's some something on some there, cognition I'm gonna follow of it. up on it. Yeah. I usually give people a call if I'm interested in it. I mean it takes it wouldn't it doesn't take a lot for me to want to talk to someone. Right. For ten minutes. Because in a, a five or ten minute phone call you can pretty quickly parse if you're interested in this person at all. Yep. Um so for me, the resume f- portion, I mean, there's some that it's just like, Absolutely. I don't think this person has a chance. Uh, but more <laughs> often than not, I'll do more phone interviews rather than less. Yeah, I do. Because I'd rather talk to the person. Yeah. And then that, you know, once you get to that phase, it's like, tell me about a new technology that you're interested in or have played with. Yep. You know, just trying to get a grasp of, A, is this person a naturally curious about the web is it something that they do because they enjoy doing it that makes a big difference you know in terms of their ability to learn i mean ability to learn is like the most important factor in that's development what, period because key, it's just moving so quick key questions is how are you keeping up to date yeah. what's going on what are you doing like what it doesn't matter what the answer is but like just some indication that they're actually like following trying where we're going and the other thing is like uh, yeah what are you excited about at the moment what's got you kind of like hot under the collar what you you know you might you probably say Vue.js at the moment yeah. or Webpack 2 something like you know right. like are they actually because there is a lot we've, we, I've probably mentioned it 5,000 times on this podcast but there's so many developers that are just the behind the times yeah they can't they don't know the answer to that question the answer to the question is just want to get paid <laughs> yeah. <laughs> need to say it. Just want a like, job. Yeah. Yeah. And you get into you know you get into a place like a some sort of corporation where they're not really pushing the boundaries. They might not be pushing you as a worker. Right. You get stagnant. You're probably making all right money. Maybe you come out. You're just behind the times. You yeah. Know, you, you need to spend six months just learning it like. People that don't know SAS, don't know Gulp, don't know Grunt, don't know Webpack, TypeScript, Babel, whatever you want to, you know, whatever. I mean, it's easy to, there's stuff I don't know. Yeah. But knowing some segment of those things. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think it's interesting. Honestly, I think, if, I don't, I, I probably, if someone put HTML and CSS on a resume, I probably looked right by it. I, I don't right. even care. It's a given name. Right, yeah. You, on the job. You, yeah, I mean, exactly. Um, I, I, I definitely need to see something about a preprocessor. Yeah. Uh, yeah. At the very least, know what it is. Yeah. Uh, I need, pro- I mean, in, in, on, on my side of the, in the house, you know, I need to see <coughs> uh, some advanced JavaScript. Yeah. Um, node. Well, actually, I don't even need to see advanced JavaScript. I need to see at least uh, a solid background of understanding JavaScript, at least at a, a, a lower level. Yeah. It doesn't have to be Ember. It doesn't have to be a large framework. Uh, I don't generally want to see jQuery. I, I mean, it's great that you know jQuery. Everybody knows jQuery. It's an API. It's very well documented. You just go use it. You don't. Right. There's not a whole lot to learn there. Um, yeah, I think it's. Um, I have a hard time sifting through resumes. I, I, there's, I see people who have, you know, four paragraphs about previous jobs, and they just go on and on, and I just. 
I've lost interest after the first three sentences. It's really, you know, it's interesting that we're sitting here talking about it because I'm currently looking for job, right? Hint, hint. Uh, but <laughs> he's great. But I've thought a lot about my resume in the sense of like, right? Am I getting penalized for? Am I getting penalized by people who are looking at my resume who don't know what they're talking about? Yes, yeah. you absolutely are. You know what I mean? So it's like, I don't put HTML5 in CSS3. Are some people like, oh, he doesn't know CSS3, off the table. You yeah. know, where it's like, or like, <laughs> I don't put jQuery. Right. So, you know, I have jQuery right now in my little skills section because I'm like, I don't know if someone's going to just complete, right. not even talk to me because I don't, don't put the like code. very bottom level table stake stuff on my resume. Mm-hmm. And then I've only got the last three jobs I've had listed. I've had more jobs than that, but nobody wants to look at a three page resume, you know? Uh, yeah. I, 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 <clears throat> I don't even have my, edu- eh, I don't know if I have, my, I think I do have my, at least my degree on there, but I don't yeah. have much about it, you know? Right. It doesn't I, matter. No, yeah. I mean, if it, to me, the, the, the slimmer, the better. Right. No fluff. So I've written it for myself basically, but then I think, are people out there hiring, or at least the person who's making the first pass, right? I yeah. think eventually it gets to the right person. Getting in, getting in this kind of loop in HR where yes. you know, somebody gave them a list of qualifications that they wanted to see at a candidate. Yeah. If you don't check all of those boxes, <coughs> you don't even oh. get a Your resume doesn't even make it That's interesting. to a hiring And I think manager. I've probably fallen in that hole a few times already yeah. because I send, I, I send a list to a big technology company in Raleigh for a job that was like lead de- lead marketing developer or something like that where I was like oh th- I couldn't write a job description that is more tailored to what my experience has been to this point mm-hmm. yeah. and I just get the, the generic HR email back that says this job didn't match your skills and qualifications and so then it's like okay well first of all I know that whoever either A no one looked at it <coughs> or B the person that did look at it had no idea what they were talking like, about yeah. I would never thought of it like that because it or any applications for jobs web posting come to me. Mm-hmm. So I get first. Do you order. see them? Okay. Yeah. So, so that's good. Which is good. I mean, we're small, so like I can easily do it. Or, or they go to my boss and, yeah. and he knows what he's talking about as well. And he'll, he'll usually just send them to me or he'll, he'll even maybe sometimes comment on it like, oh, this guy looks interesting or whatever. Right. Um, I never thought about the keyword aspect. Yeah. I mean, I, I, so in some ways I don't care because it's like, do I want to work there anyway? If this is the, how they're, if this is the bureaucracy, if, if the red tape is this thick true. just to get in the door, true. do I even want to be there for, be culturally? Person. Maybe not. So, but yeah, I don't know. It's hard to know. I, th- I think if you're, if you're blindly applying to a larger corporation, you should go in with the assumption that the first person who's going to see that resume is someone in HR and they're not going to know anything about or very little about the actual technology stack that you're for the position that you're applying for. Uh, and the best thing that you can do is to re-read the listed job description and cater your resume to match that. Yeah, yeah. that's uh, a good tip, definitely. Uh, it, do, it doesn't really matter. I mean, it's great that you have other things on it, but I mean, and don't be dishonest. I mean. Sure. Just make sure that the things that they have listed there are the things that show up on your resume. Mm. That my, way, it at least gets to the right person. Yeah, that's not a bad. It's not my, a bad my point. My top tip that comes after that is if you're a front end developer, 
You have to have your own website if you're looking for a job. Oh yeah. That's my top. I I, I seriously think you do, and and one that's not like a WordPress theme. Right. Something that oh, if it is. At least a custom WordPress theme. Something. Right. Like, even if it's a simple blog or something in like there's some blog post that I can look at that might articulate the kind of like experience that you've got. But if you haven't got a website, I just because the website can hit a few points. You can you can go and have a look at it and get a sense that the this person probably built this website in its entirety. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're looking at links that they've sent, who knows what part right. of that they worked on? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and the, the, I think it just gives a. I just think you can tell a lot from that. I really do. I think, I think that's my that would be my top tip. Yeah. Good tip. I don't think we're doing top tips, but I've just turned it into a top tip thing. Top tips <laughs> on how to get a job. Josh is furiously... Just furiously taking notes. Josh is furiously building a website. Yeah. Like, oh, God. He's actually got a website. It's excellent. Joshmobley.net. <laughs> don't go to joshmobley.com. It's a singer-songwriter. He's rubbish. Oh, he's a music producer. Music he producer. does great work, Josh. He's probably not listening. He's a nice guy. We tweet, we tweet each other from time he's to time. Not listening. No, he's not. If you are listening, I'm sorry. Not. <laughs> <laughs> right. Anything else? As opposed to that Nick Rigby. Oh, the fake Nick Rigby. We haven't talked about that on here yet, but that's going to have to wait. That's going to be too much of a rant. <laughs> I kind of want to go on Next that. time on <laughs> Get Let's Make a Podcast. <laughs> Making sure you have auto pay on your domain names. <laughs> That actually is a good topic for. Uh, we could probably do a whole topic on that. Yeah. But we won't. No, not not tonight. <laughs> I don't want to. But all the stuff we're talking about the other day, like about, uh, you know, like the, the value of domain if you've got links coming into it. Yeah. Anyway, coming up next week. Not next week. Next, coming up in four months. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, are all the podcasts that we've done in the last year that Josh hasn't edited hey that's there's probably only three so well, actually after. It, it'll it'll probably be only like three months after this is actually released <sighs> yeah when are we going to release this I'm going to try to get these out the door this week just don't edit it just don't have a job just out. ship it love ship it. it love it <laughs> <laughs> oh god ship it love it god I love Chris Collier He's fantastic. He is funny. If you've not seen Chris Coyer speak, we, have we give him three thumbs up over two here. Two or three minutes talking about how good Chris Coyer is. Yeah, he's a funny guy. He's tremendous. I mean, he's tremendous. He's tremendous because, like, he just I mean, he does so much for like web development. I mean, like, you can't search for anything CSS without CSS tricks coming up. Right. That's true. You can't. It's like Stack Overflow CSS tricks. Yep. W3C, no, what's yeah. well, not W3C? Schools. W3 Schools, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Which is an ASP website. That's coming next. Um, no, he's a tremendous speaker. I think everyone that spoke or that speaks at Mr. Event Park's good. Oh, yeah. He's top class. He was excellent. Yeah. He really was. Everyone was in. He just has a really engaging. The humor level was good as well, though. Yeah. It's, like, it's not like he's just cracking jokes left, right, and center, but it's just the subtle kind of like. He's a little bit of a sarcastic, just like a sarcastic kind of yeah. tone. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Doesn't well, seem to take himself too seriously. I just, sure. I just feel like when he's on stage, it just it sounds like he's how he talks to somebody like one on one. Right. You know, 
Well, he almost, like, on the day, he did a workshop as well, a full day workshop. He was very humble in the fact that, like, he sort of develops like I do. He's just kind of, like, butchered his way through it. Like, oh, what's that property called again? Or he, he, was, he made a, a mistake where he's like, this isn't working, this isn't working. And someone in the audience is like, you've you got gotta to click, click it. on the button. It's <laughs> yeah. like, oh, yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> So I'm sure that doing live coding adds a whole level of pressure. Your mind doesn't work as well as it would if you're just sitting at a desk. Exactly. Like, yeah. Sometimes you just get to that level of code where you just start making stupid errors. Yeah. That's the point where I stop because I'm like, <laughs> you know, I'm debugging a JavaScript error and I've turned JavaScript off because I was testing something. <laughs> I've actually done that. Why is it this loading? I'm like, I can't even get a simple alert to work. <laughs> this is what is going on. <laughs> I think I actually spent about 45 minutes while I was trying to debug something like that. And I'm like, shut the computer and walk away. Yeah. Delete everything. Well, good chat. It's a wrap. I guess that's it. Wrap in Seattle. It's cold and rainy. We're flying out tomorrow. Thank God. Yeah, we're ready to go home. Get, a, get away from Nick mostly. It's not that bad. You were the one just. You were the one that busted his day. ass walking down the sidewalk. Yeah, it's also true. <laughs> <laughs>